Let's pray. He holds all power. This is our God. If you were singing, you just sang that. Your power is dangerous to the enemy's camp. You just sang that if you were singing. You think that's real? Do you believe that what you sang is true? Lord God, today, may your word change our lives and the future of other lives. We love you, Lord. Amen. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 18. And uh, by the way, you really will need notes, even if you're part of the uh, protesting group that's refused to ever fill in a blank while I'm teaching. Um, at the end, you get to write in what you want to, or more precisely, what God's telling you to. So you, it's better to get up now than uh, at the end uh, and just have the notes ready. Um, so um, risk. I, uh, my, my entire career is at um, uh, the busiest trauma center between LA and Dallas, the university in Tucson. I don't know if you know, Phoenix, of course, is a lot bigger than Tucson, but has 12 level one trauma centers. Well, there's one level one trauma center for the, uh, what, 75,000 square miles of southern Arizona. And so the place is cranking. And uh, one day we got a call from the medics. They said, we're coming in with somebody. He's really sick. Um, and he arrived, and he was, he was sick. Uh, what had happened was he, uh, I wonder why Pastor Kurt asked me to preach on risk, by the way, being an emergency physician. Um, uh, I can, uh, you tell me what you do in life, I can tell you your risk, uh, that you'll see me. Um, and so uh, here's, here's Rick, uh, who is um, sitting in his uh, living room with his kids watching TV, 34, 34 years old, and all of a sudden a car comes crashing through the wall and lands on him. Um, turns out there was a, a person who had used their, was using their uh, driveway to, to turn around, and instead of hitting the brake um, as she was backing up, uh, happened to hit the accelerator and went through the wall, and so the wall and the car land on Rick, and he has a bad head injury. He's unconscious. His blood pressure was dangerously low. Uh, he had, uh, both of his lungs were collapsed. Uh, his, his spleen was injured. He had a bad head injury, and so we really quickly put a tube into his uh, windpipe to, to breathe for him and uh, put chest tubes on both sides to re-expand the lungs and uh, put big, huge lines into his arms and, and uh, his neck and other places and uh, put in a bunch of blood and so forth. He went for quick CT scans and then to the operating room and remarkably about two weeks later he went from the hospital to a rehab hospital and ended up doing uh, really, really well. But I want you to know the moral of that story. What I learned from that was um, that um, don't sit with your family watching TV. It's just too risky. <laughs> now this story, this story tells us as we talk about risk, this story tells us that we have this myth that we have significant control about what's gonna to happen to us. It's completely, trust me, after 30 years in the trauma center, we have very little control. 
Now, we can certainly up the risk by being stupid. And by the way, there's an infinite number of ways to be stupid. Uh, people ask me, uh, ask me, oh man, you must have seen everything. Dan, you've seen it all, haven't you? I say, no, there's not a single time I ever went on a shift and didn't see something I'd never seen before because there's an infinite number of ways for people to figure out how to hurt themselves a new way. Um, so uh, I haven't seen everything, but uh, the reality is, you, you ready? Over and over again, my career has taught me that we can't even assume that we're gonna make it home today. You can't even know you're gonna be breathing at the end of this service. Or if you stop breathing, it probably would end the service because I'd have to help take care of you, okay? So the reality is that this is, is really important. You can choose slightly more or slightly less risk. Well, if you ride a motorcycle, you can actually choose a lot more. But okay, other than the, the, that lunatic fringe, okay, you can choose slightly more and slightly less risk. But no one, no one, listen, no one can choose a low-risk life because being human after the fall is risky business, all right? So yeah, look behind your back. If you're by the wall over there, over there, be careful. You never know. The garbage guy might hit the wrong button on the bottom, right, or the wrong pedal. Um, okay, so, so we're going to look at life. Uh, from the, one of the great Old Testament kings, and boy, am I glad after that setup. I'm sure glad we're in Second Chronicles, or you guys would have thought, don't, doesn't, doesn't anybody to preach the Old Testament around here? Um, so what ha here's where we are. We're going to look at one of these kings and how amazingly we see from this that there is risk in life and what it teaches us, and there is risk in following God. Um, Solomon had died. The kingdom's divided under, uh, after that. Rehoboam, his son, is in the lineage of David, and um, it does stupid things, really, really, really unwise things. And so the 10 northern tribes called Israel say, take a hike, Rehoboam, and they follow Jeroboam. So it's a renegade kingdom. Jeroboam's not of the line of David. And the two southern, the southern kingdom called Judah, but it's actually Judah and Benjamin, but Benjamin's basically an afterthought because they were such a tiny tribe, called Judah. So that's where we are. And there's 19 kings in the north, and all of them were evil. There's 20 kings in the south over all of its time. Eight of them were good. Five of them were really good like their father, David. Asa was the first really good king. Jehoshaphat, his son, is the second great godly king. So look at this. Pick up in verse 1 of chapter 18. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he had allied himself by marriage with Ahab. You see this all the time, many, many times over and over again. There's a lot of sad stories about these alliances by marriage. Verse 2, and some years later, he went down to visit Ahab. So it's his father-in-law, right, in Samaria, Samaria. So remember, Ahab is the evil king in the north, and Judah is led by great king Jehoshaphat, and they are now family, okay, because uh, Ahab's smart enough to have gotten Jehoshaphat to, to marry his daughter. So here's what happens, and Ahab slaughtered many oxen for him and the people who were with him and induced him to go up against Ramoth-Gilead, so that's the enemy. And King Ahab of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go against, uh, with me against Ramoth-Gilead? And he said, I am as you are, and my people are as your people, and we will be with you in the battle. Now, as we go through this text, we're actually going to identify some biblical precepts about risk. So, ready? Here we go. Risk truth number one. Here's your blanks. 
we often assume that we know way more about the risks that we're taking than we actually do. Risk assessment, risk analysis is a really big thing right now in science, and it's not good at all. <laughs> in fact, until the new heaven and the new earth, it won't be good because the fallen world just has so many different ways to take us out. So look at this. Look what's going on as the story begins. Jehoshaphat married Ahab's daughter, and that wasn't against the law because Ahab is Jewish and Jehoshaphat is Jewish, and so he was marrying a, a Jewish woman. Nothing wrong with that. It was just really not smart, okay? So by the way, that could be an entire series, right? Legal but not smart. <laughs> okay with God, okay to do, not a sin, but really not smart. So here we go. The Torah doesn't say that, so here's the setup. Jehoshaphat's young, you know, doesn't really get it, and Ahab was really cunning. He was not just evil, he was really cunning. And so he put on a great show for Jehoshaphat. He wined and dined him, we heard about that. And, and here he is, he's, he's making it look like he's celebrating his son-in-law and his daughter. What a great dad. But this marriage had really only one aspect that mattered to Ahab. Guess what? It's an alliance that creates Jehoshaphat's responsibility to go with him to war. It's an alliance, okay? Um, so, uh, when Jehoshaphat became part of Ahab's family, he wasn't disobeying, but he was being really foolish. He had no idea how risky this was, and we're going to see what happens. So, when it comes to risk, as wise as we are, with as much counsel as we can get, we are not good at assessing risk. Risk number two, risk truth number two. Ready? Here's the blanks. By, the best way to live a high risk, in a high risk world, got this? The best way to live in a high risk world, which it is, is to have the right foundation for every decision. Everybody got that? It's high risk and we're not very good at assessing risk, so we're not very good at decision making. So the key is to have the right foundation for the decisions that you do make because we all have to make decisions. Okay, so despite Jehoshaphat's foolishness and naivete, the next verses help us understand what made Jehoshaphat a great king. Look at verse 4. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Wow. Let me ask you, is that your default like it was with Jehoshaphat? Decision. Let's inquire first of the word of the Lord. Is that your default? Is that what you always do? Do you say it and mean it? It's not just a stall tactic, it's what you actually mean. And look at this. Then the king of Israel assembled the prophets. I've, you're not supposed to do this, but I put quotes in the, in the text here because, you know, there's never 400 people that'll tell you the right thing all at the same time. All right, they are on a mission against you if there's 400 uh, saying the same thing. Ready? So, uh, this is more of a riot than a prophecy, okay? But look at this. The prophets, 400 men said to him, shall we go up against Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I refrain? And they said, go up for God will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, notice how he goes back to his default. Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of him? 
What a telling interaction. And notice, we're going to see Jehoshaphat's foundation for decision-making, and we're going to see Ahab's. But this gives us Jehoshaphat's foundation for life and decision-making. Write it in. Ready? Knowing and obeying God's Word. The foundation. It's the foundation. And now let's look at Ahab's perspective on hearing from God. This is really fun. Look at this. Look at verse 6 again. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not yet a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of him? He answers the question. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he never prophesies concerning good to me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Isn't it great? Even though he was evil, he was brutally honest, wasn't it? Yeah, there's a guy that'll tell me what God wants, but I hate him. Be honest. We're going to get way into this this morning. Notice now. Uh, pick up. He is Micaiah, son of Imla, but Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah, Imla's son. Drop down to verse 11. And all the prophets were prophesying, saying thus, go up against uh, Ramoth-Gilead and succeed, for the Lord God will put, give, the king, hand, give it into the hand of the king. Then the messenger who went to summon Micaiah, remember the true prophet, spoke to him saying, behold, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. So he's setting Micaiah up that there's already 400 prophets that have said uh, what should do. So please let your word be like one of them and speak favorably. And oh my goodness, that we would all know how to answer like this. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will speak. That'd clean up a whole bunch of speech and clean up a whole bunch of lives, wouldn't it? Look at this. And when he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead into battle or shall I refrain? And he said, go up and succeed, for they will be given into your hand. Now again, Ahab was really evil, but he had been around the block a lot of times. And he knows, wait a second, for the first time ever, Micaiah says, yeah, go do it. Go do what you want. Go do what the other guys say. So this is really quite cute. Uh, Micaiah is playing with him, and look what happens. He knows it. Verse 15, then the king said to him, how many times must I adjure you? Speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord. Okay, here it comes. So he said, I saw Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which had no shepherd. Picking up on what he's saying. And the Lord said, they have, these have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Wow. In contrast to Jehoshaphat, this passage also gives us, ready, Ahab's foundation for life and decision-making. Here's your blanks. His own opinion and the counsel of those who would tell him what he wanted to hear. Let me ask you who you surround yourself with. Now at this point, Micaiah boldly prophesies disaster against Ahab if he goes into battle. But instead of thanking Micaiah for warning, Ahab throws him in prison. By the way, if you look at the text, it actually says, and fed him bread and water. 
okay? This is the actual true bread and water prison story, okay? Um, and so, uh, let me ask you, what's the foundation for your life's decisions? Do you trust your own insights and listen to those who ignore or twist God's Word? Or do you surround yourself with people who love you enough to tell you what you need to hear even when you don't like it? Risk truth number three, here's your blanks. We're not even aware of most of the risks that surround us. All right, look at this. Let's pick up in, now in verse 28. So the king of Israel and Joshua, the king of Judah, went up against Ramoth-Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. Anybody see any problem with that? Everybody got the picture? Okay, we're going into battle. I'm going to dress up like Joe Soldier, and I want you to look like the king. Okay, you got this? Now, Jehoshaphat's young, and I already used the, word, the S word, so sorry. He's young and stupid, all right? He just doesn't get it. So, the, what happens next is one of the greatest testimonies of cluelessness that has ever been recorded in world history. You ready? In fact, I do this. If you're a visitor, we don't re- rewrite the Bible here. Just sometimes I say what it should say. Okay? So here it is. You ready? Here's what the Scripture should say in verse 29. I think it's up there. Ready? And Jehoshaphat thought to himself, hmm, now why would Ahab dress up like a regular old soldier, but have me dress up looking like a king? That should have been the next part of verse 29, right? But uh, no, he's so unaware of how much trouble he's in, he doesn't even hesitate, and now he nearly pays the ultimate price for his, his ignorance. Look at this in verse 29. Again now, at the end, okay, so the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. Now the king of Aram had commanded the captains of his chariot saying, do not fight with small or great, but the king of Israel alone. So it came about when the captains in the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that they said, it is the king of Israel. Remember who the king of Israel is? It's Ahab is what they thought. And they turned aside to fight against him. Man, look at this. This is really a remarkable part of the story to me. What's happening? Um, The Arameans have just one target, the king of Israel. But Ahab has perfectly set Jehoshaphat up. All of the Arameans are going to kill Jehoshaphat rather than Ahab. So notice his blindness. Even though he loves God, loves God's word, wants to hear the true prophet, He just doesn't get it. So he had no clue how much risk he was taking. By the way, right now, I can tell you, as a trauma doctor, you don't have any idea the risk you're taking when you drive out of this parking lot. In fact, you may not even get out of the parking lot, okay? The reality is, look at, this is just, but watch what happens now. Look as verse 31 goes on. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. And God diverted them from him. Then it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel. And they turned back from pursuing him. And a certain man drew his bow at random. Let me stop. Let me stop in the text right there. Let's look at what we learn about risk from Jehoshaphat. Here's your blank. When a person's first priority in life is to know and obey God's plan, the Lord protects them from their ignorance and covers for their inadequacy. Isn't that a gift? 
We're all ignorant before the forces of the enemy, and we're all inadequate for what God wants us to do. Look what you just wrote. The risk from what we learned from Jehoshaphat, when a person's first priority in life is to know and obey God's plan, the Lord protects them from their ignorance and covers their inadequacy. So, the question isn't whether you're smart. Isn't that good news? It's, it's not that we have God's plan all figured out. In fact, we can be absolutely sure that we will never have God's plan all figured out. He's omniscient and knows the future, and we never will. So, ultimately, that's not the question. See, what God needs from us is, you ready, a heart that's completely His. Just fully aware of our inadequacy and our ignorance. A heart that wants His will more than anything else. See, because when that happens, guess what? He covers for our shortcomings. He doesn't need perfect decision makers. You know what He needs? He needs people who desire to follow and obey Him more than they want anything else. That's what makes you a great decision maker, because then God has all power to fix what you've messed up. Notice, what God is always doing with that kind of person is to take them places that are far beyond their gifts and knowledge and ability. Because guess what? They're far beyond their gifts and call and, and, and availability and their abilities. They're far beyond all of that, so God just fills it in. Now look what happens as this passage ends. Verse 33, guess what? Micaiah was right. And a certain man drew his bow at random. I love this. Did you know there's a Hebrew word for random? And it's perfect here. I would put this in quotes too because, uh, you know, it's just kind of like God knew where that random arrow was going to go. Certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint of the army and said to the driver of the chariot, turn around and take me out of the fight for I am severely wounded. And the battle raged that day and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot in front of the Arameans until evening and at sunset he died. Here's what we learn about risk from Ahab. Remember what we learned from Jehoshaphat? Look what we learned from Ahab. Here's your blank. The greatest risk in life don't come from the enemy. Listen, church. Completely focused on who's going to run Washington, who the enemy has control of. Look at this. This is really important. The greatest risk in life doesn't come from the enemy. They come from our own disobedience to God's will. The great risk. So, the first three truths came from young Jehoshaphat's life. The fourth comes later. Ready? Risk truth number four, here it is. When you walk in faith and obedience, get ready for God's call to big risk. <laughs> I wish I could leave this one out, don't you? But it ends up being the main point of the whole story. Pay attention. As Jehoshaphat walked with God and grew in faith, do you think his risk would decrease? Surely God would show him how to keep out of danger as he got closer and closer to God. But this exposes a profound misunderstanding. Many people believe that if they're faithful to God, he'll make things easy. But the fact is, God often uses the victories that he gives us as preparation for the next challenge. And let's unpack this with four key concepts. Ready? Number one, as Jehoshaphat grew in the Lord, God called him to take greater risk. To see this truth, look at chapter 20. 
What an amazing chapter. I hope you'll read the whole thing uh, this coming week. But look at this, uh, verse 1 in chapter 20. Now, it came about after that that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with the, some of the Meunites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you beyond the sea out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat was afraid. Look at his default. By the way, he was afraid. Great King Jehoshaphat. But look at this. And turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And now watch what King Jehoshaphat responds, how he responds. Ready? It's in key concept number two. Ready? Greater risk may cause fear. Uh, The no fear shirt, first of all, it's a lie. Second thing is, God gives us all kinds of good fear that helps us with decision making. Right? You should be afraid when you stand on a thousand foot cliff right on the edge with nothing to protect you from falling, okay? So notice this, greater risk may cause fear, but it can also turn our attention more fully to God. Look at verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens, and are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands, so that no one can stand against you. Look at verse 12. O our God, will you not judge them? For we, look at this insight, we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Look what happened as Jehoshaphat took risks and God allowed danger into his life. His faith actually grew. And look at the response Jehoshaphat had in the midst of danger. First of all, think of it. He acknowledged they were in trouble, he confessed his fear, and he admitted that he didn't know what to do. How's that for great leadership? Right? You read all the books, you know, you're supposed to be the one that has it all figured out, all that kind of stuff. No, no, no. This is just confessing. So then, in the midst of all this, guess what? He proclaimed the greatness of God, and he turned his eyes to the Lord. And immediately God responded through Jehaziel, another true prophet. Ready? Look at verse 15 with me. And he said, Jehaziel, listen all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 17, you need not fight this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. Key concept number three, ready? When we depend completely on God, pay attention here. We transfer the responsibility for the battle and the victory from us to Him. Look what you just wrote. We don't think this way. When we depend completely on God, we transfer the responsibility for the battle and the victory from us to Him. The battle is not yours or yours. It's not mine, but God's, unless we want to be the one who's in battle. This is really remarkable. So here's the problem. We don't want to make that transfer. 
What? I mean, wouldn't you rather have God fight your battles than you? No, actually, we don't really want to make the transfer. You know why? Because we like to keep our calling bite-sized. We want to keep our calling small enough to feel like we can handle it. Just big enough to congratulate ourselves that we're doing something for the kingdom, but not having to lay it all on the line. You see, we can handle some small skirmishes, and then we don't have to risk everything. But God calls every follower of Jesus to do something so big that it's future-changing, and you can never win that battle. Not going to happen with us fighting it. So, you ready? Let me ask. Since God calls everyone to do something risky, something great, is your excuse for not doing it that the battle, the fight, the calling is too big for you? Is that your excuse? I I can't go do that. It's too big for me. Well, you ready? You need, we need a mental reset. Here it is. Here's a mental reset. Here's your blanks. God calls every believer to do something great, and that means the battle is too big for you. So, (laughs) sorry. You know, I'm not at all shepherding like Pastor Kurt. I just say it like a trauma doc. Ready? The battle is too big for you, so get over yourself and go into battle. Listen, church, it's time. Our little, what we'll keep and what we feel like we can manage to do for God, do we not yet have enough evidence that the powers and forces of darkness arrayed against God's people in our strength, it's over? Do we need any more news to tell us that unless God shows up, it's over? That's where we are today. So it's time, folks, for a transfer. But that means we get the gigantic, risky, dangerous calls. All right, so now back to Jehoshaphat. Just to make sure that they're completely dependent upon God alone, God gives them the worst battle plan in history. Pastor Josiah, I'm really sorry. But this is a horrible battle plan. The prophet says, hey, here's the scoop, Josphat. Put the musicians in front of the army. (laughs) Sorry, bud. I mean, okay, that is not a good plan. Okay, so so God, you know what God's doing? Nobody's going to be able to say it was us. No, it was just the band up front. I mean, come on. I mean, granted, they're pretty good, but okay, I mean, it was just the band up front. Listen, notice what God is doing for them here. God says this, and Jehoshaphat says yes to the plan. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, and they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa, and they went out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, O Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire. They had choir robes. That'll really help you with a spear, won't it? Choir robes in the front. There they are. Oh my goodness, look at this. And as they went out before the army and said, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. So look what the reality of this situation is. The leading edge of their attack is a choir. They're risking everything on God's faithfulness. Look where they stand. 
There's no contingency, there's no plan B, but when God's people risked everything for God's glory, look what he did, verse 22. And when he bega- they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, so they were routed. Read the rest of the story. I love it when they get confused, the enemy all kills each other, and then you come up over the thing ready for battle. All the soldiers finally ready to fight, and they're all dead because they beat each other up. It's over because their dependence was absolutely on God. High risk, I'll say, but God has all power. So look what we learned from Jehoshaphat about risk. Key concept number four, as Jehoshaphat grew in the Lord, it didn't teach him how to avoid risk. Rather, it taught him how to face risk with confidence. The battle's the Lord's. He will win it for us. So let's pause for a moment. Why does God give his followers a high-risk calling? Because folks, can you see it? The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And have you noticed that he's really good at it? Have you seen how many lives the enemy is ruining in families, in neighborhoods, in workplaces, in schools, in our community, in our nation, church? We haven't been put here just to hang out till Jesus takes us home. In case you haven't noticed, we're at war with the enemy of this world. And God is looking for those who will take the dangerous assignments while others are on the run. Are we in? So let's apply. Application number one, ready? Every human, whether they realize it or not, will risk everything. Let me start that over and pay attention. Every human, whether they realize it or not, will risk everything, either on themselves or on God. This is, listen, listen, think with me. Every human is making a risky decision about God. Every human who comes to the age of accountability will make the risky decision on God. Let's start on the believer's side. You know what, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've signed up for the the riskiest of all faiths. Think about this. The entire belief system is based on the astounding claims of Jesus Christ. Here's a few. He claimed that anyone who had seen him had seen God, a man. (laughs) He allowed people to worship him. He said, you know, we usually have names for that in psychiatry, right? I mean, he claimed that anyone Excuse me. He said that he was there when Lucifer fell from heaven, and he said that he'll return to the earth in power and great glory, and he will melt the universe with a fervent heat. Now, that's a claim. He said that he'll create an entirely new heaven and earth and that he'll reign over them forever. Those are pretty audacious claims, aren't they? So, do you realize how outrageous they are? And... Don't get me wrong, there are many historical, logical, and philosophical reasons to believe all of the claims of Jesus Christ, but never forget how completely unique and remarkable they are. If you follow Jesus, you're risking everything. But here's this flip side. If the claims of Christ are true, then those who don't proclaim him Savior and Lord are really the ones who are risking everything. They're absolutely... Not getting around this, ready? Jesus forces a universal dichotomy. Humans must risk 
everything, either on the belief that the one true God exists and that it's him, or that he isn't the one true God. Every human will face that. No one can avoid the fact that there's no such thing as a low-risk eternity. Let me say that again. No one, no one, no one can avoid that. So, notice where we've ended up here. Everyone is risking everything on this issue, and this leads to, ready, a universal truth. Here's your blanks. No one has the option of risking less than everything. Look what you just wrote down. No one has the option of risking less than everything. You and every person you know, one way or the other, is risking it all. Application number two. If you're going to risk everything on God, then risk everything on God. Right? If you said you're in, if you're going to risk everything on God, because everyone is going to, then risk everything on God. And I'm going to spend just a moment on a travelogue of what happens to many believers over the course of their Christian life. First, when somebody really comes to Jesus, you know what they say? They say things like, Lord, I'm giving you my all. Lord, take my life. I surrender everything to you, Lord. In fact, if you didn't say that when you came to Jesus, you haven't really come to Jesus, right? That's the call. Uh, That's what they say. And And here's the key. It's the Lord, take all of me. This is how belief in Christ begins. But many Christians, soon after that, they start a gradual drift they begin ever so subtly to compromise and to take back control of their life. And then they tell themselves that this, uh, this is all okay, the slide's okay, because after all, they still go to church, they still sign up for stuff to do, they still put money in the offering. And then they begin to avoid accountability, and they stop asking themselves why they're no longer completely surrendered to God. And so Christianity becomes a Christianity of marginal commitment. Listen to how N.T. Wright blows away this kind of Christianity. Look at it on the screen. What profound words. How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that fire has become flesh, that life itself came to life and walked in our midst? Christianity means either that or it means nothing. It's either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world, or it's a sham, it's nonsense, it's deceitful play-acting. But look at this. But most of us, unable to come to grips with this either-or truth, condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. But Jesus Christ isn't just a nice man or a wonderful teacher. He's the very glory of God, the ultimate reality, and that means that everything in your life has to revolve around him, the gospel. All his. I don't know if you've noticed this, but right before the crucifixion, when Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate was questioning him, and Jesus completely ignores him, doesn't answer the question at all. And you ready? Here's what Pilate says, ready? Big, tough, big governor, prelate, Pilate. Do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Here's what Jesus was saying to Pilate and to everyone. Listen, folks, this is the call of Jesus. Either crown me or kill me. Either crown me or kill me. Either accept my claim to lordship or reject me, but I won't let you waver in the middle. 
You can either give me everything and make me Lord, or you can hate me and run away from me. You ready though? At least that response is honest and has integrity because you've faced the fact that I'm not just a nice guy who came to tell people to be nice. You can worship and obey me or you can reject me, but I won't let anybody just like me. You can't just like Jesus. See, when someone rejects Jesus outright, they're facing the most urgent, burning, white-hot question in the universe. At least they've faced the real Jesus and not the flimsy, milquetoast, pathetic version of him that's been manufactured by our pseudo-Christian culture and the lukewarm church. So here's the bottom line. If you want Jesus, it's high risk. You have to give him everything. Nothing held back. You have to leave the diving board. And so this morning's call is about risk. If you've really given yourself to God, then get in the saddle and attack the enemy. And don't do it by stealth. Step out boldly because as long as you walk in God's ways, I love this. This is how Paul lived. As long as you walk in God's ways, you're immortal until he's done with you. Did you realize that? It doesn't matter what the risk is. As long as you're in his ways, you're immortal until he says, okay, that's when your breath ends and now you go get to have eternal breath with me forever. You're immortal until he says, now is your time. So, ready? I'm going to ask each of us to take the risky challenge of being a world changer. Ready? Write them in. Here it is. Since in the end, everyone will risk everything, I will choose to risk my everything on doing something great for God. Look what you just wrote. Will you take the challenge? Since in the end, everyone will risk everything, I will choose to risk my everything on doing something great for God. But here's the problem for many of us. We spend so much time either just hanging out as if today doesn't really matter or whining about how tough our situation is. But God is calling us to rejoice in the fact that he can use every problem, every situation, and every decision that I face as an occasion to send me on a great calling. You see, the enemy wants you to believe that you don't really matter because after all, you're just you. When God says, you're just you, he says, I made you totally unique like me. When the enemy comes and says that, he says, oh, you're, you're, just, you're just you. You're just you. So, the enemy wants you to believe that it's only great gifted people who God can really use. And he's horrified that you'll discover that God has created you for greatness. Did you know that? He's able to somehow kind of get a whole bunch of us to not see that. So, even if he can't entice you to do some great evil, the enemy will settle you to simply be living below your incredible potential. Did you know that your potential terrifies the enemy? Now, here's a key. Your strength doesn't. But your potential, if you hand it all in, your potential horrifies the enemy. So the big question is, will your potential just remain unattained potential, or will your potential be transformed by your obedient decisions combined with the power of God? Because our obedience combined with the power of God, nothing can stand against. You see, most believers' lives, the biggest problem isn't their temptation to do some terrible evil. 
Their biggest problem is, you ready? Most of us will settle for mediocrity when God has called us to do something that changes eternity. So, this morning, our response. We're going to get really practical. We're not just going to have a rah-rah session and say, I'm all in, and then leave without making some specific commitments. So, look on the back of your handout, and if you didn't get one, please go to the back and get one. They're on seats and all kinds of stuff in the back, because this is the part you're going to do even if you're not filling in blanks. Uh, Look with me at some of the areas that God may be wanting you to make bold changes in. I'm going to walk us through really quickly, and then we'll have a few moments. We've uh, ended up with plenty of time to write down our responses. So, ready for the first one? I think this will be on the screen, too. Give my heart and life to Christ. By the way, if you thought you did that, but you realized this morning you really haven't, you never really said, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. I'm all yours. That means everything, which means everything. All yours. You're going to, by the way, you're going to risk everything one way or the other. So why not risk everything on the God who loved you so much that he took all of your sin and suffering upon himself? Why risk everything on things that will, in the end, absolutely fail you? Following Christ is the riskiest thing a human can ever do, except not following Christ. Next, go public. Many Christ followers are afraid to tell people that they're Christ followers. (laughs) Imagine that. To those with this fear, let me say this, Jesus doesn't have silent followers. You can't be a stealth Christian. To be a true Christian, you have to believe and confess. You have to testify openly that Jesus is my Lord. If you've given your life to Christ, you have to go public. So, in a minute, you're going to write down some specific ways that you're going to proclaim your faith to those who you live around and work with, and you're going to write down some names of people who you need to engage in spiritual conversations because you have a relationship with them where you can do that. Next, if you know God's great risky call on your life, if you do, some of us have been hearing it for a long time. If you know God's great risky call on your life, then go all in. Are the days not urgent enough? Are we not chasing daylight? See, face the fear, stare down your second thoughts, and cast aside doubt. Because here's a key. If you're waiting for a day when you won't have fear, and you won't have second thoughts, and you won't have doubt, you will never do anything great for God. So, the great callings are never comfortable. They always stretch us and they always challenge us. Now, there may be some here who don't know yet what God's great risky call is on your life, and what I would say is open your eyes. He doesn't need you to be smart, and he has no problem communicating. You know what he needs? A heart that's completely his. Then your eyes and ears will see and hear God's plan. Pastor Josiah, bring the team on up. Ready? Change. Next. Change from self-centered prayers to kingdom-centered prayers. Oh, I did not want to put this one down because I didn't want this to be one that I had to write about. Many of us only pray for what we want. 
for jobs, for promotions and financial security, or we focus on our own problems and concerns. So this is a call to understand that the purpose of prayer isn't to bend God's will to fit ours, but to bend our will to fit His. This means praying like, Lord, I'm going to release that situation that I'm trying to control. I release that thing. I release that stuff. I release that relationship that I've been chasing. I'm not begging anymore for what I want. I'm begging that you will show me who you are and what you want me to do. Next. This is going to give some of you a stroke. Stop consuming my life with social media and be willing to take the risk that I'll be out of the loop and even unliked or shunned or or unfriended. See, some of us spend so much time in the false reality of cyber cyber relationships that we have little time for studying God's Word and engaging in kingdom priorities. And by the way, (laughs) posting a Bible verse isn't the same thing as diving deeply into God's life-changing Word, okay? That's easy. For many of us, it's time to go on a cyber diet. Next, give God complete control of my relationships. I'll allow Jesus to be enough. There's a, I mean, this could go a lot of places, couldn't it? Let me just give one. I'll stop allowing my need to, and desire to find a mate to drive my decisions. Instead, I'll allow Jesus to be my first love and lead my other relationships to Him. He's like really my first love. Next, make a specific commitment to serve in the kingdom. Right now, you might not even know what God wants you to be doing, but if you're actively engaged in ministry, then at least write down, if you're not actively engaged in ministry, at least write down, yes, Lord, I will actively seek opportunities to serve you in the church. And then, ready? I'll find my identity in Christ alone. I'll stop seeking my self-worth in performance, profession, possessions, beauty, intellect, reputation, athletic ability, money, how I look, or others' opinions. I'll make the risky choice of ignoring everything the world values to find my value in Jesus. And finally, this is just a short list, right, of the ways God could be calling you right now to take big risk for Him. So I left the last one, other areas where you know God is calling you to take risks. So just take a few minutes now. And as the the band plays quietly in the background, start writing your answers. How will Jesus be at the center of everything?